everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor Study. Many years ago, an American tourist was on a train in Norway. He was making a scene because he was ordering a lower berth, but they gave him an upper berth. Well, the young man in the lower berth said, I'll switch with you. Uh, they talked for a while, had a pleasant conversation. The next morning, the young man is getting off the train, shakes the American's hand and says, I hope you will think of Prince Bernadotte as I go off to preach the gospel to Laplanders. And the American became shamefaced because this is the man he had read about who gave up the succession to the throne of Norway to become a missionary to Lapland. <laughs> We're going to talk about humility for this half an hour. And here's the definition that Jesus gives of humility. Humility is giving up your rights and going for the lower place. Would you take out your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 14, and let's pray. Father, we pray that you will forgive our pride, our arrogance, and help us be humble, because you promised to exalt people who humble themselves. Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 14, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> And it came about when Jesus went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread. First lesson today, Jesus does not avoid hostile people. The Pharisees were hostile to Jesus repeatedly. He still has dinner with them. <laughs> one scholar said this, We know of no case in which Jesus ever refused an invitation. So do you avoid hostile people? Some Christian parents are pulling their children out of public school because of how hostile it is now toward Christian values. I don't blame them. I know someone in the Minneapolis public schools who was told by the vice principal, you can't say good morning boys and girls anymore because that might upset transgender children. You have to say good morning scholars. And the way that the Minneapolis-St. Paul public schools are promoting transgenderism, homosexuality toward, you know, they have these groups that, that endorse this stuff now in the public schools. I don't blame parents for taking their kids out. However, you really got to pray about it. Because maybe the Lord wants you right in there, in the public schools, with your children, fighting the good fight of faith to give the other point of view. Let's look at the rest of verse 1. And they were watching Jesus closely. <laughs> Here's the next lesson. If you follow Jesus, you will be watched. I have a friend who has become much more vibrant in his Christian faith, and now the people at his office know that he's a Christian, and he said, Boy, do they watch me now. And any time I do any little thing, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian. <laughs> 
Well, that's part of the package. When you follow Jesus, you will be watched. Uh, now skip down to verse 7. Luke 14, verse 7. And Jesus began speaking a parable to the invited guests when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him, and he who invited you both shall come and say to you, Give place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and incline, recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. Here's the next lesson. Have a humble view of yourself. One scholar wrote this, Everyone before God ought to feel that the lowest place is the proper place for him. Let me repeat that. Everybody before God should feel the lowest place is the proper place for me. I think that's why the Apostle Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. There's a story many, many years ago of a Chinese king, a loving, humble king. One day an old man came to the palace and asked to see the king. And he said, sir, I've seen many kings come and go and they've all succumbed to pride except for you. What keeps you a humble, loving king? Next to the king's throne was a chest. The king patted the chest, the secret's in here. He opened the chest and took out a dirty yellow robe. And he said, I used to wear this robe when I worked the field as a slave. But then one day they made me king. And if I'm ever tempted to, to think I'm better than others, I take out my robe and I remember who I am. <laughs> I think that's what kept the Apostle Paul humble. Paul knew, I remember what I was like B.C. And that kept him humble. We were having a Bible discussion and we were asking the question, what helps you not get angry? And one woman said something very wise. She said, it helps me to have a humble view of myself and that keeps me not angry. If I have a high view of myself, then I get upset any time the universe doesn't revolve around me. <laughs> and, and I think, how could this happen to me? But she said, if I've got a humble view of myself, then my attitude is, why shouldn't this happen to me? I think she's right. Humble people are the happiest people on earth because they're not expecting everything to go perfectly for them. <laughs> Look at verse 11. For everyone who hum exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. So, you know, let's, let's define the word humble there. A lot of people think this is humility. Oh, I hate me. Oh, I'm such a worm. Oh, God could never use little me. That's not humility. Um, I, it's, it's kind of proud humility. Uh, Os Oswald Chambers wrote, there is nothing more awful than conscious humility. It is the most satanic type of pride. It's kind of like saying, see, I hate me. Aren't I humble? And Golda Meir, the, uh, the prime minister of Israel many, many years ago said this, don't be so humble. You're not that great. 
And here, though, is now we're going to get to Jesus' definition of humility. Here it is. Humility is taking the lower place. It's not hating yourself. It's not kicking yourself. But when you go to a party, you go to the lower place. That's humility, according to Jesus. Hugh Shu was a wealthy Chinese young man, Christian man, who wanted to become a nurse. He goes to the hospital of the China Inland Mission to become a nurse. He's being trained. The supervisor says to him one day, Hugh Shu, would you please wash these shoes? He said, I am a nobleman. I do not do peasant work. So the supervisor started cleaning these shoes and at the end she handed him a Bible and she said, would you please read John chapter 13? And he did and tears came to his eyes and he said, Lord Jesus, you washed feet. I can clean shoes. Jesus says humility, true humility, is not hating yourself. It's just taking the lower place. One person said this, so many in the church are reaching for the top. So few are reaching for the towel. <laughs> Here's a Christian businessman. He's making a lot of money in the business world. He quits his job, joins Campus Crusade for Christ, where you have to raise your own support and they put a cap on it so you can't raise a lot. And he's gonna spend the rest of his life now being an, an administrator for a missions program because he wants to have his life count for something. That's called taking the lower place. And do you understand this? It's smart for you to be humble. Um, uh, look again at verse 11. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Uh, uh, there's, there was a story of a, of a Scotsman by the name of James McDougall, a young man who was about to go preach his first sermon. And he knows it's a good sermon, so he climbs the pulpit because their pulpits are, pulpits are kind of high in Scotland sometimes. He kind of has a bounce in his step, kind of arrogant. He gets up and he preaches his sermon, and he can tell this is not going well. People are looking at the ceiling and, oh, it was a terrible sermon. And he came down the pulpit like this. The custodian of the church came over and said, Laddie, had you gone oop the pulpit the way you come doon, You'd have come doing the pulpit the way you went up. <laughs> That's what Jesus means. He who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, and, and again, this is throughout the Bible. Uh, Proverbs 3, God scoffs at the scoffers, but he gives grace to the afflicted. James 4, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 1 Peter 5, clothe yourself with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you. Notice the words, humble yourself there. Sometimes I pray this prayer. Lord, help me humble me so you don't have to. I mean, as we read of all these Hollywood moguls and senators and newscasters now that have lost their jobs because they've been abusing women for years. When I, when I see all these stories, I think to myself, maybe if they would have humbled themselves, God would not have had to humble them. You're smart to be humble. Jesus, in fact, said this in Matthew 18. If you don't humble yourselves like children, you will not enter the kingdom of God. So you're smart to humble yourself. Look at Luke 14, verse 12. 
And Jesus went on to say to the one who had invited him, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and payment comes back to you. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, but you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now we get the next definition of humility. Humility is serving people who cannot pay you back. There's a wonderful Christian ministry in downtown Minneapolis that serves the poorest of the poor. And I know the woman who runs the ministry, wonderful Christian woman, pours her heart into these poor people, you know, bringing them to Christ and salvation, giving them food and clothing. She loves the Lord. She is serving people that will never be able to pay her back. She'll be paid back on the last day at the resurrection of the just. I know a pastor who kind of takes these verses literally. And when he has people over for Thanksgiving, for instance, there will be some kind of strange people around his table. And he's taking these verses literally, not only inviting his family, but inviting people that really need an invite. And look at the kinds of people we're supposed to invite to our dinners. People who are poor, lame, blind, etc. So let me ask you this question. Christian, what's your attitude toward the poor? Do you do anything for the poor? If you do, you're going to be repaid by the Lord someday. One last question. Is Jesus teaching in these verses that it's wrong for you to have a dinner and invite your friends? I don't think so. Why? The Last Supper. Who did Jesus invite to the Last Supper? His friends. So it's not that it's wrong to have a party and, and invite your friends, but Jesus is saying, catch the principle here. When you invite people, be sensitive to inviting people that really need to be invited. So I'm going to close with this and ask you this question. Can you think of someone who's poor that maybe needs your help? Someone who's lonely and maybe needs a phone call. A mission group that needs a check and maybe you send them a check. Can you think of someone who can't pay you back that you can do something for? We've learned, according to Jesus, humility is two things. It's taking the lower place and it's helping people who can never pay you back. God will pay you back on Resurrection Day. One last thing. True story. I know the, the person told me the story went to this. There's a very beautiful cheerleader at a certain high school. Very popular young woman. They're having one of those Sadie Hawkins dances where the, the girls invite the guys. There is a young man at her school that has a deformed face. Half of his face is very twisted. The cheerleader invited him to the dance. And he nervously and excitedly said, yes. And my friend saw this. She was there that night. She said, you should have seen that young man. He was having the time of his life. Humility is serving people who will never be able to pay you back. Humility is giving yourself the lower place so the Lord someday will exalt you. Amen. 
Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Our first question for you today, Pastor Brock, based on what you preached, is should Christian parents put their children in public schools? I think that there's a variety of factors. A lot of places in the country are very friendly to Christian values. Certain places are very hostile to Christian values. So it kind of depends on what your school district is like. It also depends on your child. If your child is very susceptible to influence and you know they're going to be led astray, you might want to consider a private Christian school. If your child is more independent and can be a good Christian witness without being evilly influenced, then you might want to have them be a missionary in the public schools. So you got to pray as parents, Lord, given my makeup, the makeup of our school district, the makeup of my child, and the Lord will guide you. Okay, this next question is for you, is what do you think of these TV evangelists, and I think you probably know who I'm talking about in particular, that have these big houses and mansions? Actually, Jackie, a number of those preachers have big houses and mansions. Some of them have a jet. And I think I, I don't think it's a sin to have a nice house or a nice car. But when I give money to a ministry, I don't want it to go to somebody's mansion. And I want to tell you, if you give money to our ministry, I, I live in a townhouse in Brooklyn Center. <laughs> I don't have a Cadillac. We don't have a jet. Overwhelmingly, when you give to this ministry, it goes to buy the airtime. That's where we're, we're uh, pretty cr uh, frugal on that. And so I would think if you've got a big ministry and everybody's watching you, for the sake of Christ, don't have a jet. Don't have a huge house. Just live sim simply and humbly. I, that's my humble 10 cents on it. Yeah. Okay. What are some good Christian ministries that are serving the poor, though? Samaritan's Purse is a good ministry that helps disaster people all over the world as they preach Christ to them. So it's not just a, 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 a feeding the poor ministry, it's a feeding the poor and giving them Christ. So I love Samaritan's Purse. I love International Christian Concerned. They help persecuted people around the world. I love Voice of the Martyrs, which also helps persecuted Christians around the world. So Samaritan's Purse, International Christians Concerned, Voice of the Martyrs, are, are, and then there's tons of other good ones, but those are the ones that come to mind. Okay, so is Jesus teaching that you shouldn't have your friends over for dinner? Yeah, from that parable, again, because of the Last Supper, where Jesus had his friends over, um, I don't think we can say he's, he's saying that's wrong, but he is saying be sensitive to inviting people you normally wouldn't invite, people who can't pay you back. I think that's his point. Okay. Okay. This is a different question for you. We have somebody that wants to know, why do you wear a collar? Yeah. Everybody thinks I'm a Catholic. <laughs> Not everybody, but lots of people think you're a Catholic. Catholic priests wear this. But so do Lutherans, so do Episcopalians, so do some Presbyterians. So when you see the collar, it might mean Catholic, but it might mean Lutheran or Episcopalian too. So, Where did the collar come from? <laughs> I was though? afraid you were going to ask me that. I searched that one down once. It's really hard to find a good, clear answer to that. And so um, I'll have to look that up and maybe do another show on it. <laughs> because a lot of ministers have gone away from wearing right. a collar. Right. A a, I would say most, most clergy 
do not wear the collar. They wear just a coat and tie or whatever. Okay. Can you explain what exactly is a Calvinist? A Calvinist. I'm talked a Luther- about Yeah, I'm Calvinist. a Lutheran. And after Luther in the 1500s came Calvin. Calvin also was a reformer. And the churches that trace themselves back to Calvin in the 1500s are the um, Presbyterian Church, the Reformed Churches, the um, Congregational Churches. And historically, Calvinists are big on the fact that God is sovereign. That means that he controls everything. They're big on the fact that God predestines everything. And so, I, I mean, I share a lot of the Calvinist beliefs, uh, but that the Calvinism has kind of had a resurgence and a lot of people follow, uh, the, Calvin and Luther, uh, they disagreed on some things, but overwhelmingly they, they were in agreement on the scriptures, salvation by grace alone, et cetera. Pastor Brock, if a person has a sin habit that they just seems like they cannot break it, is there any advice on yeah. conquering a sin habit? I had a, a guy write me whose wife, he loves his wife, but she's got a horrible drinking problem. And I said to him, she needs to get help. She can't conquer this alone. So, uh, you know, a, a, there's a Christian AA group called Alcoholics Victorious. There's the, uh, also, of course, the famous Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you don't have a group in your neighborhood or in your city, most places do, but if you're in the middle of the country, then find one mature Christian that you respect and say, can we meet once a week for you to pray with me and hold me accountable to see how I'm doing? Uh, At at least have a one-on-one accountability. Don't try to conquer your sins on your own because that doesn't work. Okay, one of our viewers says that her daughters become involved with a Christian group that says we should follow the Old Testament and worship on Saturdays and not Sundays. They also keep the Jewish festivals and say it's wrong to observe Christmas. How does yeah. a person respond to someone yeah. who thinks like that? And they sometimes also add, you can't eat pork. Okay. Because those are Old Testament laws and why aren't we following the whole Bible? Well, the answer is the New Testament fulfills and completes some of the Old Testament laws. In Mark 7, it says, Jesus declared all foods clean. Some of the Old Testament laws were given to the Jews only to make them distinct from the nations, like worship on, like Saturday is your day of rest. Um, don't eat pork or certain animals. This was God making the Jews distinct from the rest of the nations. When Christ died on the cross, read the book of Hebrews, he fulfilled the Old Testament ceremonial law. So Jackie, I can have a hot dog, I can worship on Sunday. Uh, the, some of the Old Testament precepts were given just to the Jews. They were fulfilled in Christ. I'm not obligated to avoid pork. Okay. Were the Bible stories about Jesus written down hundreds of years after yeah. he died? Yeah. A lady wrote me who obviously is not a believer, and she said, you know, the Bible was written o- over hundreds of years, and things got changed was her point, and you can't trust the Bible. And I recommended two books. One is called, Are the New Testament Documents Reliable? by F.F. F. Bruce, and Evidence That Amends a Verdict by Josh McDowell. Jackie, the New Testament was completed around 95 AD. Last book of the New Testament was Revelation. Now, the Old Testament was more like hundreds of years through which it was written, but in the New Testament, Jesus died about 35 AD. 
the New Testament, the earliest books of the New Testament are probably Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and James. Those are real early, like what, 40, 50, 80? And then the last book is the book of Revelation, about 95 AD. That's within what? Six, the last book is within 60 years of Christ's death. So it's not like for hundreds of years this thing got passed on and changed. No, we have early manuscripts of the New Testament. You know, I just found it so interesting when I learned that, you know, we have the Gospel of John, and then we have John writing the uh, Revelation. revelations yeah. as yeah. well, you know, and... Yeah. Yeah. He was the, you know, the, the early church history teaches all the disciples were martyred except John, who lived to old age. Huh. That's the early church history, whether it's exactly correct, we're not, we, we don't know, the Bible doesn't say, but... So what is the Gospel of Thomas? Early in his church history, there were false teachings. And the Gospel of Thomas was, uh, th there was a group of, of, of heretics called the Gnostics back in the early church. And they taught that you're saved by secret wisdom and secret mystery. And the Gospel of Thomas, if I remember right, is a Gnostic gospel. And they have, I mean, Jackie, the criteria of getting in the New Testament was, is this teaching apostolic? Is it linked to one of the apostles? And does it teach Christian doctrine, proper Christian doctrine? You read the Gospel of, of, of Thomas, it gets weird. Little, babe, little Jesus takes clay, makes a bird of it, and makes it fly. Just kind of weird stuff with Gnostic teaching. You can kind of spot the false, you know, so these, these false Gnostic Gospels and letters did not make it in the New Testament because it's a whole different Jesus. Okay. Yeah. So, Pastor Brock, is it wrong to read like the horoscope charts and that? You know, I mean, I have to admit, I'm guilty even in the paper where it has your horoscope mm -hmm. for the day. <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't look at it. In fact, I was having Chinese dinner with friends last night. I don't even read the fortune cookies. I, I'm not saying it's a sin, but in the New Testament, it, it's uh, fortune telling is forbidden. If you remember in the book of Acts, the girl could tell fortunes by the power of a demon and Paul had to cast it out of her. So um, I stay away from fortune telling. I stay away from seances. I stay away from psychics. Dial 1-900-PSYCHIC. I don't because all that stuff is either chicanery or it's demonic. So I think we're to stay away. We're down to about 45 seconds, Tom, and I guess my last question for you is, do you sense that America will see another revival come? Jackie, I wish I could say yes. And when, when I hear a Christian on TV saying, revival's right around the corner, we see it coming. I'm sorry, I see no sign of our nation turning around. And I hope I'm wrong. And, uh, but I think we're in for some rough times as Christians in the United States. And come Lord Jesus, may the second coming of Christ happen soon, because I don't know that we are going to turn around as a nation. You know, it's sad to think that after all the things that have happened, that people want to fall away. Well, we want to thank you for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, 
Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.